Please take up your copy of the Word of God to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, 27. By faith, Moses left Egypt. Hebrews 11, 27. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Let's pray. Our Father, as we approach you, we ask you now, as we study more in-depth this passage, we ask for you to be present with us, guiding us by your Holy Spirit, and helping us to understand this great faith that Moses had, but not only understanding that, but we pray that you will endow this faith to us, that we might be able to withstand any temptation, any enemy, any foe that we face, whether the devil himself or any of his emissaries. We ask you, Lord, to grant us this kind of faith, courage, and endurance. And may we see, just as Moses saw you, even though you are invisible, may we see you in the same way. In Christ's name, amen. Well, when we come to this part of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 11, and towards the end of this chapter, we have individual verses describing a single incident or two about uh, a man of faith or woman of faith. And so we will just look at this one verse since it is packed with lots of truth that needs to be unpacked and understood. Remember what we have observed from this book of Hebrews that there were those who, in the preceding verses, those who endured from beginning to end in the faith. And then we had examples of Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph who endured and made pronouncements of faith when they were about to die. And then now we have those who are about to suffer death, premature death, and yet in the face of premature death, they continue in the faith. That's what we have with Moses. Moses was almost going to suffer premature death as an infant, but his parents had faith and spared him. And then premature death when he was 40 years old, and now at this point in life when he's 80 years old and delivering the people out of Egypt. So whether it is beginning faith till the end of life, or at the end of life, announcing our enduring faith, or in the middle of life, when we are about to experience death. No matter what, all of these examples are examples of enduring faith. And why? Because they had God as their goal, as their reward. They had Christ before them, set before them at all times. They kept their focus on the things above, not on the things below. This is why they endured Now, we need to be reminded of a few truths since it's been a while since we came back to this passage. The first truth is that this faith that he describes is a faith that is a saving and sanctifying faith of all people throughout the Old Testament. It was a saving faith and a sanctifying faith. This faith that they had saved them from their sins. In other words, they were not saved by works. They were not saved by keeping the law. They were not saved by offering animals on the altar. They were not saved by anything that they did. They were saved by faith. (coughs) Secondly, it is a sanctifying faith. That faith that they had that saved them from their sins also 
continued in them to produce holiness, righteousness, godliness in their life. It was not a powerless faith. It was not an impotent faith, but it was a strong faith, a a faith that had the almighty power of God to transform their life so that they might live a holy and righteous life. This is the kind of sanctifying faith that they had. Furthermore, this faith was a faith that had as its object Christ himself. Christ himself was the object of their faith. We see this in verse 26, because speaking of Moses, it said, Moses was considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Christ was the goal. Christ was the object. Christ was the one in whom he put his faith. He did not put faith in God in some vague way, in some way that we might say happens in other religions, or even within Christianity where the Bible is not correctly taught. He did not have faith in God in some vague way. He had a specific faith in the reproach of Christ, in the death and resurrection of Christ for his forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Moses had that, and all the saints of the Old Testament had that kind of faith. Faith in Christ. And furthermore, faith throughout the Bible is a gift. Faith is a gift. Faith does not get conjured up within ourselves. It's not as though we have a little bit of goodness left in us, in our will, our free will, our good will. It's not as though we have a little bit left in us and we just need to to kind of stoke the fire and make sure that that little bit has enough strength, enough energy to believe in God. It's not something that is within us. It's not within the flesh. It's not within man. Faith comes from above. It comes down to us as a gift. And then God gives us the ability to exercise that faith. He changes our heart and grants us faith in Christ. This is the proper sequence of events. It says in Acts 16, 14, that the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. God opened the heart of Lydia to respond to the message of the gospel that Paul preached. Response to the gospel entails faith and repentance. And what had to happen first? God had to open Lydia's heart for her to be able to respond. And there are many, many biblical examples of how faith is a gift. This is what we must keep in mind. Furthermore, we are reminded that Everyone must have this kind of faith. It's not as though only certain Christians or only super Christians or elitist Christians or double blessing Christian or second blessing Christian or any kind of uh, paradigm that people might invent should have this kind of faith. No, this kind of faith must reside in all of us. How do we know that? Because he's giving us all of these examples in this chapter And notice also in verse 6, 11, verse 6, where he has already told us this truth. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without this faith of which he writes, it is impossible to please God. There is no way to please God unless we have this kind of faith. This means that it's not faith that is only for Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Moses and David and others. 
No, it's not just a faith for them. It is a faith that we all must have. It's the kind of faith that God expects of all of us. Otherwise, we can't please him. We cannot please him. In fact, Romans 14, 23 says, whatever is not from faith is sin. Whatever is not from faith is sin. Romans 14, 23. That means that if we don't have this kind of faith in everything we do day by day, we are sinning against God, whether we realize it or not, whether we admit it or not. We sin against God unless we have this faith in the things we do. We do it in faith to the glory of God, otherwise we sin day by day. Now, Moses, again, let's go to verse 27. By faith, he left Egypt. This he is Moses because Moses was introduced in verse, verses 23 and 24, specifically verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up. We're speaking of Moses and when he left Egypt. There is some discrepancy among the commentators as to what incident is being described here, whether Moses was 40 years old in Exodus chapter 2 or Moses was 80 years old later in Exodus 11, 12, 13 and the time of the plagues and the Passover. I believe that it's most clearly speaking of Moses when he was 80 years old, the time of the Passover, the time of the 10 plagues, when he was fearless and courageous in front of Pharaoh, because it says here that not fearing the wrath of the king, he did not fear the wrath of the king. We read from chapter 11 how that was the case. Exodus chapter 11, he did not fear the wrath of the king at all. And in fact, Moses had the boldness in Exodus chapter 10 to say the following. Exodus chapter 10, verse 28. <coughs> Exodus 10, 28. This is another confrontation with Pharaoh. And it says, Exodus 10, 28. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me, beware. Do not see my face again, for in the day that you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, you are right. I shall never see your face again. When that threat of Pharaoh was announced against Moses, Moses didn't let up. He threw it back on him, on Pharaoh. He said, you are right. I shall never see your face again. And not only shall I never see your face again, I'm not the one who's going to die. You're the one that's going to die. You're going to die when the Red Sea engulfs you and your army. That's what's going to happen. This is what kind of faith that Moses had. And that's why I think that he's in the Hebrews eleven twenty seven, when it says he left Egypt, he's talking about this incident just before the Passover, just before the tenth plague, when Moses, throughout the whole of the plagues, was fearless and courageous in front of Pharaoh. Now think about this. In front of Pharaoh, it says that he left Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king. The king was the one who threatened him in chapter, Exodus chapter 10. The king constantly was the threat. Can you imagine? God tells you to go to a powerful king, a king who has armies, a king who has weapons, a king who has all the abilities to seize you when you see him in the court, to get his officials to arrest you and then to go execute you, to torture you and execute you. The king had that power. 
And yet God told Moses to go in front of this king and to not only go one time or two times, but at least ten times for all these plagues. At least ten times to go before this king. That's the kind of faith Moses had, to withstand even the temptations to withdraw, to cower, to walk away and retreat, to run for his life when, he, when God told him to know. You go there, go in front of the king, you tell him whatever I'm going to tell you to tell him. Speak my word to him and don't fear him. And Moses didn't. He did not fear the wrath of the king for those 10 times. And even in chapter 10, 28 and 29, and chapter 11, Exodus 11, he did not fear the wrath of the king. He knew what he needed to say. He knew what he needed to do. He went there in his presence and he told the king whatever the king needed to hear. He did not fear the wrath of the king, as it explains here. It's true, he didn't. Not only did Moses have this fearlessness in front of the king, but this is here set as an example for us, is it not? For it says in Romans 15, 4, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Whatever was written in the book of Exodus about Moses was not written just for Moses. It wasn't written for theological uh, speculation and inquiry. It wasn't there for our intrigue. It was there for our holiness and godliness, for us to know God and for us to walk with God more faithfully. That's what Romans 15, 4 says, that so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Moses feared God. He did not fear the king. And that's the way we should be. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew 10, 28, and do not fear those who kill the body, but afterwards are unable to kill the soul, are able to kill the body, but afterwards are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus taught us the same thing. Just like Moses knew. Don't fear what man will do. Fear what God will do to you if you don't fear God. If you don't fear God, he'll throw your body and your soul into hell forever and ever in eternal torment. So don't be anxious. Don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. Don't fret it. Don't worry about what man will do to you. Just endure it and have faith in God. God says in Isaiah 51, turn to Isaiah 51, to a wonderful passage. Isaiah 51, what causes us, what is it that causes us to fear man? I believe we have that explained a bit in Isaiah 51. Isaiah 51, verse 12. 51, 12. I, even I, am he who comforts you, who are you that you are afraid of man who dies and of the son of man who is made like grass that you have forgotten the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth that you fear continually all day long because of the fury of the oppressor as he makes ready to destroy. But where is the fury of the oppressor? The exile will soon be set free and will not die in a dungeon nor will his bread be lacking. For I am the Lord your God who stirs up the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. I have put my words in your mouth and have covered you with the shadow of my hand to establish the heavens, to found the earth, and to say to Zion, You are my people. 
This is a wonderful passage that we should memorize. A wonderful one to memorize. Verse 12, he says, I, even I, am he who comforts you. God is the one who comforts us. God is the one who will give us peace of mind. God is the one who will give us stability, who will make us secure and give us a refuge. He is the one who does that. Why have we forgotten that? Why have, and why is it that it says in verse 12, who are you that you are afraid of man who dies and the son of man who is made like grass? <coughs> what makes us think that we are so good and wonderful people that we look at another man who dies and it, it must be that our pride swells up within us that we want other men who are perishing men, mortal men, to want to like us. We want men to like us, men who are going to die, who are like the grass of the field, who are going to die. They're not going to live forever. They don't have all power like God does. And our pride swells up so much that we want them, we want their flattery, we want their kind words, they, we want them to pat us on the back, we want their glory, we want their praise, we want them to say, okay, I'll protect you, I'll be, I'll be kind to you if you do this for me. No, we shouldn't want any of that. What we should want is to please the, the Lord. Verse 13, what causes people to fear? Not only is it pride, but notice verse 13, that you have forgotten the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. Have we forgotten who God is? He's the creator of the universe. He created this planet. He created all that we see all around us. He created everything in the earth. He created everything in outer space. He created the innumerable stars. He created everything. He created us as humans and persons in the image of God. He created all of us. So why is it that we would be deflected and distracted, letting man be someone that trips us up and causes us to stumble when we don't look at who God is? He's the creator. Fear him. He's the creator with almighty power. He not only stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, but he sustains. He sustains it all. As it says in verse 15, it says, I am the Lord your God who stirs up the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. I'm the one who causes the seas and the waves and the wind to do whatever they're doing. Does any man have power to withstand all the waves? No. No, no man has. Not any number of men have power to withstand the waves of the seas and the oceans. No, we don't. In fact, what we should keep in mind is verses 14 and 16 that the exile will soon be set free and will not die in the, in the dungeon, nor will his bread be lacking. And in verse 16, I have put my words in your mouth and have covered you with the shadow of my hand to establish the heavens, to found the earth, and to say to Zion, you are my people. What is it that God does? He provides for us. He's not going to abandon us. He's going to provide for us. He's going to protect us. Shadow of my hand. That's similar to the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud that the people of Israel had as they went through the wilderness. The shadow of that, the fire and the cloud, to protect them throughout the desert and the wilderness. The same thing here. Cover you with the shadow of my hand. He, in fact, not only does this, but he reminds us that we belong to him. You are my people. And God's not going to abandon his people. 
For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.6. Romans 8.28. For God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor principalities nor powers, nor things to come, nor things past nor things to come, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is going to be there to protect us because we belong to him. I and the Father are one, remember Jesus said, that we are his sheep in his hand, and the Father's sheep, or in the Father's hand, we are in his hand too. And the two of them work together. We have a double power working to protect us and provide for us because we are his people. We are the sheep of his flock. This is what Moses knew. This is what Moses believed. That's why he did not fear the wrath of the king. Let's also be this strong in faith. No matter what happens to us, no matter what anybody says to us, no matter what threats come our way, let's endure until the end with this kind of faith. Verse 27 also teaches us, for he endured. He endured. This endurance is not a temporary endurance. It's not like we can believe the gospel for a day, a year, or ten years, or however many number of years, and then eventually abandon it and say, no, no, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. That was all ridiculous. I never truly believed it. We can't do that. We cannot fall away. We cannot turn away from the true gospel. Here, Moses' faith was an enduring faith. He believed it. He knew it was true. He had strong conviction that it was true, as it says in Hebrews 11.1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This is the kind of enduring faith that Moses had. It helped him to withstand everything, not only when he was raised in the court of Pharaoh, and until he was age 40. Not only when he was a fugitive in the land of Midian for 40 years. Yes, he was gone. He was in the desert for 40 years. By himself, Just raised, he married and raised a family there in the desert, in the land of Midian, in a foreign territory. Then he came back, and when he was the leader of the people, and when he inflicted the ten plagues against Pharaoh and Egypt, Even then, Moses, even though he had a position of prominence, he did not have the good favor of the people. He did not have the favor of the Egyptian people because they kept resisting him. Even though, in a sense, they esteemed him, they admired him, they still didn't believe in him. They admired him, but they didn't believe in him, and they weren't agreeable to him. And even the people of Israel. What happened when it got hard on the people of Israel in Egypt under Moses, and then in the wilderness for 40 years. What did the people do? Constantly, the millions of people. Remember, it's millions of people because we know there were at least 600,000 soldiers 20 years old and upward. At least 600,000. So there were millions of people. And these millions of people, in any casual reading of the books of Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, just read and you'll see how often 
their grumbling, their complaints, their bitterness, their slander, and even on occasion, they wanted to stone Moses to death. They wanted to put him to death in the wilderness, even though he had done everything for them and had promised them the land of promise, the land of Canaan, by the word of God. This is the kind of affliction Moses endured, both on the inside from his own people, who should have known better, and even on the outside, the Egyptians. They wouldn't listen. Nobody listened to Moses. Barely anybody listened to Moses. We know that that's the case because of Hebrews 3, Hebrews 3, 3, 16. Hebrews 3, 16 to 19. Even the apostle teaches us in this letter that hardly anybody believed Moses. 3, 16. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest? but to those who were disobedient. And so we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. He's teaching us here that under the leadership of Moses, these people, the people of Israel, made God angry, and it said that all that came out of Egypt, they all died in the wilderness because they were people of unbelief and disobedience. They all died in the wilderness. So when it tells us then, in Hebrews eleven twenty seven, for he endured. Can you imagine that kind of endurance? Moses had this kind of faith that in spite of all the people around him, on the inside and on the outside, throughout his whole life of 120 years, Moses lived a life of affliction, affliction, torment by the people. The people simply would not Obey. And Moses, just before he died, he taught them a song. And before he taught them a song, he said these words to them in Deuteronomy 31, 27. Deuteronomy 31, 27, he says, I know your rebellion and your stubbornness. Behold, while I am still alive with you today, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more then? After my death. He tells them he's about to die. And he tells these people, he knows how rebellious and stubborn they are. And he says that I, while I'm alive, you have been rebellious and stubborn against me and against the Lord. And after I die, you're going to be even worse. You're going to be even more wicked and rebellious than while I've been alive and have, uh, have had to deal with you. That's what he that's what the scripture means by him enduring. Now, is endurance only for Moses or is it also for us? It's also for us. It teaches us in Hebrews chapter 3, 314. 3.14 it says, For we have been, become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. We have become partakers, and he's speaking of a true partaker. We have become a partaker if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. 
But if we don't hold firm until the end, then we have not become a true partaker. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, 36. 10, 36. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. We have need of endurance, he says. We have need to do the will of God. And after we have done the will of God, we shall receive what he promised. What he promised. Immortality in the presence of Christ forever. No more sin, suffering, pain, and death. Nothing like that. We have escaped all of this world. The, the enemies of this world, including the devil and all of his demons, we have escaped all of this. We have what was promised. We have Christ himself being in the presence of Christ forever, where there will not be any of these things. And he warns us not to shrink back, because those who shrink back, shrink back to destruction. Those who fall away, fall away to destruction. Those who do not endure, endure to or, or go to destruction. Instead, we ought to have faith to the preserving of the soul. The perseverance of the soul happens by the commandments of God and faith in Jesus, as it says in Revelation 14, 12. This is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith, 1 John 5, verse 4. Our faith that endures until the end must be necessary. One more place, and that's James chapter 1. What should our attitude be whenever we do experience these afflictions? Whenever we do experience these persecutions? Whenever there are insults and uncertainties, what should we do? James chapter 1 teaches us verse 2, 2 to 4. James 1 verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We should have an attitude of joy. We should have this contentment and this peace whenever we encounter various trials. The joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah 8.10 teaches us. Because our faith needs to be tested in order for endurance to be the outcome. If the faith isn't tested, then there is no endurance. And if there is no endurance... There is no perfect result, which is being perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is the sequence of events. Also, James 1 verse 12. 1 12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Yes, we are blessed when we persevere under trial. Because once God approves of us, we will receive the crown of life. Isn't that much better than anything people can give us? Isn't that much better? It is. Even the Apostle Paul, when he was about to die, 2 
2 Timothy 4.18, he said, The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Anything that man might do against us will not have the victory, will not overcome us, because our souls are secure in God. So let us have this kind of endurance, this enduring faith that endures until we meet Christ face to face. And further... Hebrews eleven twenty seven. he says, what it was that Moses kept as his focus. It says, as seeing him who is unseen. As seeing him who is unseen. God is invisible, correct? We know that Colossians 1, 15 says, the invisible God, that Christ is the image of the invisible God. God cannot be described in terms of an idol or a statue. He cannot be constructed in that way. We cannot imagine any kind of physical object to describe God, to be like God. All of those must be rejected. God is spirit, John 4, 24. God is invisible, Colossians 1.15. And here he says, he is unseen. He is unseen because he's invisible. There is no tangible, physical way for us to say this is God or to worship God in that way. We cannot do that. And if we do that, we would break two of the Ten Commandments, or all, uh, excuse me, three of the Ten Commandments. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods besides me. And the second one, you shall not make for yourself an idol. And the third one, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We would be taking his name in vain also if we worshipped an image. And we should not do that. So Moses, he knew all that. He understood all that. But that didn't cause him to lack faith. You see, the flesh or the world and the false religions of the world, what do they do? They say, well, because I can't see God, I need this physical image to help me worship him, to help me understand him, to help me focus. That's what they say. That's what they say, don't they? They say that all the time. They say that's what they need. They need this physical image. But the Bible teaches us we should not, if we have true faith, have any idol set before us. In fact, we should be looking as Moses, as Moses did, as seeing him who is unseen. God is invisible, but our faith should be of such a kind that we have faith in the invisible God, and that is the focus of our life, not in the physical things of the world. The invisible God and not the physical things of the world. It teaches us the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. 4, 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. 
For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This is the way of every Christian, not just Moses, that even though we have right now light affliction, we might think it's a big affliction, a heavy affliction, but no, compared to eternal life, it's light, it's momentary, it's fleeting, it's nothing. Nothing compared to eternity. And what we must do is keep our faith focused on that which is not seen, invisible. Then we will have true faith. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3. What is characteristic of those who have this faith? Notice Colossians 3 verse 1. If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. And have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man. But Christ is all and in all. In verse 1, if we have been raised up with Christ, that is, we believe that Jesus died and rose again for us, so if we've been raised up with him, we have believed in his death and resurrection, then where is Christ right now? He's at the right hand of the Father. At the right hand of the Father, but we can't see that. Correct? But by the eyes of faith, we can see that. By believing the word of God, we can see that. By believing the testimony of what's written in the Holy Bible, we can see that. That Christ is ascended to the right hand of the Father. And therefore, because he is unseen and at the right hand of the Father, he's teaching us by that, that we should not be focused on this physical world. Verse 2, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Not on earthly things, but on heavenly things. Earthly things. Why? Is he saying that? Because if we set our minds on career, on money, on movies, on sports, on physical pleasures, on vacations, we put our money or or focus our time and, and, and energy on those kinds of things, that's on things of the earth. We shouldn't be doing that. It should be setting our minds on the things above. Why? Because we have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. If we, have, if we have deigned, if we have presumed to identify ourselves, to attach ourselves with Christ, then how could it be that we can say that we belong to Christ, but I really love my money. I love Christ, but I really love my sports. I love Christ, but I really love my career. How can we say anything like that? We can't do that. If we love Christ, we love Christ, period. You cannot serve God and mammon. 
You cannot serve, uh, you can, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and despise the other, or he will hold to one and reject the other. It cannot be. It has to be one or the other. And then how is this fleshliness, worldliness manifested? Verse 5 says, immorality, which is likely sexual immorality, impurity, which is not only in mind but in mouth, impurity, passion, living for one pleasure or passion after the other. You can't get enough. You can't be content and peace and at peace with yourself. You have to fulfill all your senses constantly. Evil desire, which is another word for lust, greed. I want more, I want more, I want more. And he says, which amounts to idolatry. The moment we have any one of these or, or all of these in front of us, we have supplanted Christ. We have thrown Christ off the throne when we should not. He's at the right hand of the Father. And if we belong to him, we must keep in mind that we have to keep our mind focused on the unseen world. Those who don't have the wrath of God coming upon them, but not us. We used to be that way. We used to be angry, wrathful, malicious, slanderous, abusive, but not anymore. We used to be liars, but not anymore. Our old self, our old man, with its evil practices, we have already set aside. He's describing it as though it's filthy, dirty garments. You know, if you've been out and about and you've been working out, out, outside, your garments get filthy. Your clothes, they get filthy, dirty, smelly, oily, muddy, whatever. They get that way. And nobody wants to be around that, right? No, but not even your family wants to be around that. But what do you need to do? You need to take them off, set them aside. And that's what he says are all of these evil things. Set them all aside. Go wash up. Go put on some clean garments, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. That is, we're being conformed and transformed to the image of Christ. Christ is holy. Christ is pure. Christ is, <coughs> Christ is perfect. And this is who we need. We need him in our life. And, and who is it that benefits? Anyone from any background, because God is about saving people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to be in Christ. These are his people. And that's what Moses knew. That's what Moses believed. Moses lived his life according to faith in the word of God and in this invisible God who was the source of all blessing, not only creating the world, but redeeming the world, sustaining the world, and for the world to come. He lived for the world to come. Moses knew, Moses believed in eternal life, and he lived for that eternal life. Shall we do the same? Let's not fear anyone. Let's not fear anyone. Let us fear God. Let us not worry about anything. Let us have peace and contentment. Let us endure, have faith that continues until we meet Christ face to face, whether that's our death or whether that is the return of Christ. Whatever it may be, let's wait and keep enduring until then. Let's Keep our focus on the unseen spiritual truths. Let's say like Jesus did. Did you not know I had to be about the things of my Father? Jesus cared about nothing else except doing the will of God, pleasing God, 
with his life, talking about God and the things of God. Let's be the same way. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.